Uh, I said it this morning and I'll say it again. I love every worship service is, is wrapped in a theme for the day. When you happen to be the preacher, you know what the theme is and where it's going. So I know that. Uh, hopefully you'll see uh, how well this all fits together when, when it is all said and done. But uh, wonderful job today uh, for those who have prepared us uh, in this time in worship. I hope I can continue what they've started. So can you remember the very first thing you were ever fascinated with? Or can you tell me something that you are fascinated with now? And how can that fascination deepen your relationship with or your understanding of God? Now, that last question I can't answer for you because I don't know what you're fascinated with, but I can hopefully give you some tools for you to be able to answer that question on your own by looking at something that fascinates, if not all of us, a good group of us. As a species, one of the things that has always fascinated humanity is the unknown. Whether the unknown was as simple as what's behind door number three, or as mysterious as the future, or as complex as outer space. And it's this latter curiosity, space, that the last several weeks have sparked both the curiosity and also it's fed the curiosity of humanity. Weeks ago, NASA revealed the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope. They were beautiful, highly detailed images of our universe in a manner that we have never before seen. And the space industry has fascinated us with many where were you moments from John F. Kennedy declaring that we were going to go to the moon within a decade to the Earthrise scenes from Apollo 8 or the moon landing of Apollo 11 to also the tragedies such as the Challenger and the Columbia disasters. Sometime soon, NASA will launch Artemis 1, and I know some of you in the room are anxiously awaiting that, but that's the first step in our return to the moon and our further exploration into the solar system with the eventual goal of landing a human being on Mars, which for a new generation will be cause for more fascination, and yet will be one more where were you moment. So I don't know if anyone around these parts knows all this, but this is a pretty big deal if you're in Huntsville, Alabama. When the search committee first talked to me about coming to be the young adult minister at First Baptist Church, one of the things they asked me was, well, what do you know about Huntsville? And I said, to be honest, not much, but I know there's a big rocket by the side of the interstate on I-65, and I have no idea why. Well, now I know. So back to our earlier question. I don't know what fascinates you, but that is one of the things that fascinates humans. And it definitely fascinates the people of North Alabama. And we will, when we look to the scriptures, they share our fascination with what's above and beyond us. There's several references to the heavens throughout the scriptures, but included with that are specific references to things in space the sun, the moon, stars, and constellations. I want to share with you just a few. From Psalm 19, we, hear, we see it said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Isaiah 40, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth of each of them by name 
Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The writer of Job asked, who makes the bear? Orion and the Pleiades. And Amos 5 said, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the Lamb, the Lord is his name. Our scriptures today, if you saw in your bulletin, come from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and James chapter 1. If you want to find those and stick your thumb in there, I'll make a few other references to other scriptures later, but those are our main ones. Genesis 1, I'm sure you're familiar with, but I'll read it for you, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And also from James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. We'll come back to that if you want to keep your thumb or a pencil or a flyer in there. But you might think that this last passage is a stretch when referring to the stars and the constellations. But this is where we miss a fantastic reference from James because we're not reading it in the language in which he wrote it. James says, don't be deceived. And the Greek word that he uses here is the word that means to deceive, to wander, or to lead astray. It's a term that comes out of the study of astronomy. An actual Greek term would be a term that if you heard it, which you will because I'm going to say it for you, but it would probably sound very familiar for you today. It's the Greek word planete or plane. And it's a word that we know in English as planet or plane. So quite literally, an airplane is an air wanderer. And to the ancients, a planet was a wanderer in the heavens. So here's your science lesson for today. The ancient civilizations would study the stars and they would notice that night after night, the stars' positions would change, but they would change together. They would stay the same place relative to one another. However, they also saw that there were other heavenly bodies that to them looked like stars, but they did not have a fixed position. And they seemed to move around the sky from night to night. So because they looked like stars, but they did not act like them, the Greeks called them planets, deceivers, or wanderers. And James uses the term here to make a play on words. Don't be like the ancients deceived by the deceivers or the planets. Instead, remember that every good and perfect gift is from the Father of the lights. He doesn't change like the shifting shadows or the wandering planets. Like the other biblical authors, and like us, James is fascinated by the stars. But I want to ask you again, what fascinates you? It's not just the stars that fascinate us. It's not just the stars that sometimes deceive us. 
You probably don't know the name Jacques Cartier, but our neighbors to the north most certainly do. Cartier is to Canada what Lewis and Clark or Christopher Columbus is to the United States. And like the other explorers of his day, he was fascinated with finding a western route to Asia, to the spices of Asia, and the fame and the glory that would come with finding that. He was commissioned by the King of France to find this trade route. You probably have heard of it as the Northwest Passage. And he made three expeditions to Canada. On his third expedition, he established a a settlement at what is now modern-day Quebec. And by this point, the hypothetical trade route to Asia was becoming a pipe dream, and the focus of the French was now narrowing to establishing a foothold in the Western Hemisphere to mine its treasures like the English and the Spanish were doing further south. During this third expedition came the winter of 41 and 42. That would be 1541 and 42. And it proved to be a difficult one. The winters of Canada were harsher than the French were used to. When they would wander out beyond their settlement, they would be attacked by the locals. Hope was dimming and men were dying. So Cartier made the decision to pack up and abandon the settlement. But before returning to France, he loaded up his ships with a literal boatload of all the gold and diamonds that he could find. The explorers of old called this the New World. But it is, it is not in the, same, it is in the same spirit as they are that we are exploring new worlds. We don't share their motivation for riches or expansion of earthly kingdoms, with the exception maybe of Elon Musk. We don't share that motivation, but we do share their spirit of fascination and wanting to know what is just beyond us onto the other side. And I ask you again, what fascinates you? Awaiting us as we explore the stars is not mineral or financial gain. To a great extent, we hope to find at some point, somewhere, life some form of life that exists out there, or if nothing else, a way to sustain life as we know it. But as far as we've explored, as long as we've looked and far as we've looked, and as beautiful as the universe is, all we have discovered thus far is rocks full of dirt. There's some big rocks, but they're rocks full of dirt. And a canvas covered in darkness in places that are hospitable only for death. We have found so far what matches the description we see in Genesis chapter 1. Formless, empty, hovering in the darkness. And the more we look, the more, I hope, we realize the riches that we have here on earth. I understand that a photo may be released tomorrow or in the, a discovery may be made in the near future and that would demonstrate maybe that there was other life in the universe. Even if so, what is abundantly clear is that we are the anomaly. It has often been said that it's hard to believe in miracles because they betray the natural state of things. They are not observable or repeatable. But the more we look out into the universe, the more we see that the natural state of things in the universe is dirt, darkness, and death. Far and away, that is the norm. We are the exception. One little small pocket of the known universe, one blue marble 
one pale blue dot, one place alone in the universe where light, life, and love is found and flourishes on earth. Every day, observable and repeatable, disrupting the natural state of the rest of the known universe like its own little miracle. What fascinates you? And how can pondering that fascination be harnessed to deepen your reflections in your relationship with God? Doing this sometimes can cause us to ask deep questions. I one time asked some of these deep questions on Facebook because that seemed like a good place to ask deep questions, you know? So I threw it out there one time and I said, life is full of perplexing questions that must be pondered. Like, where do we come from? How did we get here? And perhaps most important, if the slip and slide had soap on it, do my kids need a shower tonight? (laughs) One such deep question we can ask is what happens when what you set out for isn't what's delivered, or it's not in the package that you expected. Kind of like where I was going with that joke you just heard. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not much of an explorer. But I can tell you what I was fascinated by, at least once in my life, I can, and I can tell you my tale of exploration and discovery. You see, when I was eight years old, the world changed forever. I was a child of the 1980s, and if you were too, you can probably vividly remember your first experience with this world-changing contraption, the Nintendo Entertainment System. This thing was incredible. It had controllers. It had a robot that connected to the system that would work for or against you. It had a gun that interacted with the screen. It even had a glove that was the world's first foray into VR. And it also had the Super Mario Brothers. The Super Mario Brothers were a pair of brothers, Mario and Luigi. I don't know why they were just the Mario Brothers. I don't think Mario's name was Mario Mario. I think they shortchanged Luigi there a little bit. But it was the 80s. We didn't ask questions of things like that. We just rolled with it, man. Whatever they told us, we just did. If you ever remember doing nuclear war drills and getting under your desk, that's the way it went. We just didn't ask questions. We just did it. So I received this Nintendo for my birthday, and I was fascinated. And I have a summer birthday, so I spent the summer playing it. And one day, my friend Jason was over, and he was watching me play Super Mario. I was on a particular level of the game that was underground, and we had discovered that we could jump to the top of the screen and run along the top and avoid all of the pitfalls that were below. If you've ever played the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I was doing this, and we reached a point where I should have jumped back down and taken a pipe back up to the surface. But instead of doing that, I looked at my friend and I said, what do you think would happen if I just kept running across the top? And he seemed as intrigued by this idea as I did, so we did it. And what we came across was this, a warp zone. Now, a warp zone was a place where you could go and automatically advance further in the game by skipping multiple levels. We had never heard of this before, 
nobody knew that this existed. It was a revolutionary discovery on par of, with Cartier and his gold and diamonds in Canada. And not only was the Nintendo Entertainment System a captivating presence in my eight-year-old life, so was an upstart, unknown publication known as Nintendo Power. Now, Nintendo Power was a magazine chock full of articles about the Nintendo Entertainment System, from games that were about to be released to clues and to tips for games that were already in existence. Now, keep in mind, I was eight years old and this was the 1980s. Video games were a relatively new phenomenon. The idea that games were intentionally programmed and coded and designed was completely foreign to me. In my mind, it was just a new world with endless possibilities. And my friend and I were determined to tell others about my fascinating discovery. So I wrote a letter to Nintendo Power explaining what we had found. Hi, Nintendo Power. My name is John. I'm eight years old, and have I got news for you. (laughs) In world one-two of the Super Mario Brothers, I have discovered a warp zone. And we sat back and waited for our recognition, the forthcoming articles and magazine coverage. Nintendo at this time was even making a movie about a Nintendo whiz kid and it starred Fred Savage. That movie was gonna be a biopic about me. Or so I thought. I can only imagine the reaction of the Nintendo Power employee who received our letter and probably enjoyed a really good laugh that day. But I was fascinated, and I explored, and I discovered. But what happens when what you set out for, or what you expect, or following what fascinates you, turns out not to deliver on what you thought it promised? What if it leads you to dead ends? Jacques Cartier was fascinated by the prospect of a Northwest Passage and the spices of Asia, but soon lost hope in that and turned his attention to Canada and to its mineral riches. The history of NASA has already shown that our quest for advancement in space has unintentionally had positive effects on advancement of life here on Earth. And that is likely to continue to be true going forward. A number of our young adults have pledged to read through the Bible this year. And as they do, one of the things I've encouraged them to do is simply to see the Bible as a story. A story about a people on a quest for God that has led them to one dead end after another, especially as we go through the Old Testament. And as you read the Bible through, by the time you get to the prophets, what you see unfold is just this. What was set out for isn't what was delivered, or at least they come to the realization that it's unattainable. The Bible echoes this idea through and through the Old Testament. It is a story of a group of people who set out together to better understand life and interact with God. One writer for the LA Times has recently argued that it helps to understand the Bible as humanity's diary. And while I disagree with her on the ultimate source of Scripture, I do agree with her on that approach. It's a story about how God has revealed himself to people and those people's mission of discovery particularly discovering what won't deliver in their quest for God. And it's summed up well in the prophets. The prophet Isaiah sums up this message of despair with his lament in chapter 26. We have not given salvation to the earth 
nor have we brought life into the world. But there are some beams of hope that are found in the prophets too. Isaiah will go on to talk about the suffering servant. And the prophet Ezekiel has a famous passage about the valley of dry bones, both of which describe a process through which the dust and the dirt of death, life is found. And Ezekiel also shares a beautiful passage in chapter 36, where God tells them, the the Hebrew people, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Their rock heart heart, their rock hard heart, suspended in darkness, will be animated by light. Not because they deserve it, God would go on to say, but because of his love. They will follow him, but they will do so now because they are fascinated by him. For the prophets, their dead ends into dirt, darkness, and death led them to hope and to look for Emmanuel, God himself, to come and to be with them. The hope found here in the prophets at the end of the Old Testament is this idea that by journeying into the darkness, we can actually find the light. By journeying into death, we find life. And that hearts of stone can be melted by love. So Cartier returned to France, and he landed in the fall of 1542 with his boatload of gold and diamonds, awaiting the fame and the recognition and the glory that would come as a result of his discovery. The whole purpose of these expeditions by this point to what we now call Canada was so that the French could match what they hoped or hoped could match the Spanish discoveries that were being found in gold and silver down in Peru and Mexico. But the French would be deceived. As it turned out, the treasure brought back by Cartier turned out not to contain diamonds, but quartz. And the gold wasn't gold, but pyrite, or what we would more commonly refer to as fool's gold. Spain and their explorations found wealth. Britain and theirs found land and tobacco and sugar. But the promise of riches in the new world turned out to be for the French in exercise and hauling dirt. And it significantly set France back in expeditions to this side of the world. They wouldn't return to the new world for another 50 years after Cartier. And their lack of finding riches in Cartier's expeditions is probably one reason why you're hearing this sermon today in English and not French. But I want to come back again to what fascinates you. And how can you harness that fascination to deepen your relationship with God, especially when your fascination leads you to dead ends. Let's go back again to James chapter 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James is telling us here, he's answering this question. 
telling us not to be deceived, not to get distracted by the things in our lives that wander aimlessly before us, distracting us, not to get lost in the lights of fame or fortune or exploration, but to remember the father of those lights, the one who is immeasurable, immutable, and immovable, the one who gives birth to us, who is the source of life through his love. Because everywhere we look in this universe, so far, we see dirt, darkness, and death. But when we look to the planets, or when you look to your fascination, do not be deceived. The father of those planets, the father of your fascination, is the father of light and life and love. And it is because he entered into the formless, empty darkness and made it explode with life. He did that in Genesis, but he also did that on the cross. In the darkness of a tomb, with a body consigned to return to dirt, in a place hospitable only for death, the light of God entered and gave a rebirth to life through his love. Have you ever felt like you were in the dark? Then if, the, if there is any message to take away from our explorations into space, any lesson to be learned from European explorers to the new world, or any point to drive home from Scripture, it is this, that only by traipsing off into the darkness can we even begin to see where life might be found. And the God of the Bible is a God who makes that his trademark. So don't give up on yourself or the people that you love, wherever you are in life, whatever state you or your loved ones are in with God. This is the message of the Bible, and it's a message that resonates with the tale that is being told by our universe, that God is a God who can take dead, dirty, and dark rocks and make them flourish with life. He can do that in our universe. And he can do that in your life or in your loved one's life. I'm afraid that we don't believe this message anymore because it sounds so familiar. And we are familiar with it instead of fascinated by it. Familiarity is good, but fascination is better. In the first service, I showed pictures from the Webb telescope. I can't do that for you in here. But reflecting the same glory of those pictures in the Webb telescope are the stained glass windows that we have in here that tell the same tale that we can get by looking at those pictures. And I'm afraid for us that we miss that sometimes. I'm afraid for us because we're in here every week that we can become so familiar with that and so used to it that we miss the fascinating tale that God is telling us behind it. So I want to encourage you to do that. As we look to the stars this week, or in the coming years, and as you engage with what fascinates you, as you maybe reach dead ends in that search, I invite you to share in the fascination expressed by David in Psalm chapter 8, where he said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. 
The universe joins together with Scripture to tell us that God can take dirt, darkness, and death and turn it into light, life, and love. So I invite you to spend this week pondering your fascination. Why did God give you that fascination? What are the dead ends of it that can deliver you to... What are the dead ends of that fascination that... And what does it deliver that can join with what Scripture testifies about God? If you can do that, then I'll pray that it leads you to the same conclusion that it led David at the end of Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.